Well, everybody, today is the day I go off on my journey as a chosen one. Wait, chosen one? How exactly were you chosen? Lloyd, knock it off and pay attention in class. It's okay, Rain. Lloyd, I was born with a crucius crystal in my hand. So you just came out holding a crystal? Lloyd! Well, no. I think it came from an angel, my real father. Real father who happens to be an angel, and you're sure it's not just some guy saying that? It's just part of being the chosen of regeneration. It's an important job to save the world. None of you have any of this suspicious. That Colette just happens to be chosen one and has to go pray at several temples to gain the favor of elemental summons in order to sacrifice herself to stop a world-ending calamity? Lloyd, stop disrupting class! I'm just saying, all this is way too convenient. It sounds like someone made this all up or got it from somewhere else. I swear, I've heard this before. Lloyd Irving, go stand in the corner right now! Where could someone have possibly gotten the idea for the journey of regeneration just to make it to a story? Hey! Hey! Blonde girl! Blonde girl! I got a bone to pick with you. Whoa, you just can't burst in here. This is a classroom. Yeah, who the heck are you? My name is Titus, and I'd like to have a word with you about copyright infringement. In the early 2000s, Kelly Ryan and Matt Mason were sent to Backlog Prison for the crime of owning too many games. These RP gamers promptly escaped with help from their staff to the internet underground. Today, still drowning in unplayed games, they survive as podcasters with no fortune. If you have a backlog, if no one else can help, well, you've already found them. It's our A-Team of RPG Backtrack. Welcome to RPG Backtrack, your regular deep dive into your favorite RPGs. We are a production of RPGamer.com, bringing you such fine podcasts like RPG Cast, your news show, Q&A Quest, your feedback show, and we're the Nostalgia Show. I'm your host, Kelly Ryan, and the genus to my reign, my podcast partner in crime, Matt Mason. I'm just here this week, so I won't get fined. <laughs> oh, I, I can charge you for not being around? Oh, crap. I'll edit that part <laughs> out. <laughs> but I'm here! Woohoo! And with me are a couple of fine guests, Robert Albright. I, I'm uh, I'm just here to crash into the walls. And uh, Tales of Aficionado, Cassandra Ramos. Uh, forgive me, I'm going to fangirl all over the place. Yes. Yes, I, I believe that we're discussing two of your favorite games of all time tonight. Yes, very much so. Ooh, uh, yes, we are talking about... tales to tell. Yes, um, we, we are talking about Tales of Symphonia and Tales of Symphonia Dawn of the New World. Uh, when I was doing research for this show, the last time Backtrack talked about this, it was episode 26. Wow, that's 10 plus years ago, easily. Yeah, even before I was staff. Yeah, so I don't think, obviously Dawn of the New World wasn't out. I, I didn't even get a chance to look at the date when I was looking at that. It's just like, okay, that it's it's been a hot minute since t- t- this game has been discussed. Definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. And um, an interesting thing about this game that I discovered this weekend is that the PS3 version has shot up in price. Uh, right, ran into it at a used game store and they were selling it for 100 bucks. Yikes. 
Yeah, I, and I can't think for the life of me why uh, Bamco hasn't put this one on uh, that particular collection on PS4. Which would be nice too. Oh, we can only hope. Maybe we'll have the the backtrack summons, <laughs> or what is it, the backtrack miracle when we bring uh, a port into backtrack prediction cast. <laughs> yes, we, we could only hope. I mean. <laughs> Vesperia is going for change these days. I think I saw it at Walmart for like five bucks. <laughs> well, I mean, you can get the switch port of that one for under ten. Yeah, because there's a just there's wait a, a week. There's a Bamco sale going on right now as uh, as we speak. Oh, <laughs> yeah, don't cru- wait a week. Cruising, cruising through uh, eBay here. Honestly, the prices aren't that bad for most of the copies. Mm, either PS3 the- or GameCube. Maybe that particular shop was gouging, as as they are wont to do. Yeah. Now the collector's edition, I am the collector's edition sealed um, for the PS3 version. That one I'm seeing of like 150 plus. But that's specific to the collector's edition. Yeah, and and I couldn't snap a picture of it either because the corks were right there, and corks always get really funny when you do that. Um, I, I wanted. Oh to yeah, because, because they don't want backlash. Because I wanted to so bad because it's like, wow, this is top of mind. <laughs> but um, get, getting ahead of ourselves, talking about the price before we talk about the game, but that just floored me that that game had shot up. Uh, that being said, um, if, if you want to see if the PS3 version is worth uh, that much money, then, then stick around because we will get into it. Because, yes, this is an awesome two games and we're going to break it down after the break. Welcome back to RPG Backtrack, where we're talking about Tales of Symphonia. Um, it's been a hot minute since this game originally released, because I, I was in college when this game came out. And I was in high school. <laughs> I was um, early. Yeah, I was just I had just graduated high school. Yeah, that, was, that was 11th grade, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that was my fourth year in college, July 13th, 2004. Um that, that was the original GameCube release. And then in Japan, it got a PlayStation 2 version later that year. And then it, it got re-released on the PlayStation 3 um, in February of 2014. So 10 years, 10 years later. And I, like I said, I'm genuinely surprised that Bamco has not put this on like PS5 or Switch. Or oh, PS4 wait, 2004, Switch. I would have just started into the Navy. Yeah, 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 because at the time, I was, like, itching to play any RPG on the GameCube, and I bought this day one and played through it and loved it, um, even though I kind of made fun of the story a little bit because I, I found some of it kind of corny, but it, it was still an awesome game. Mm-hmm. I was pretty, I, was, I guess I was still relatively inexperienced with RPGs at the time. Um, I, I enjoyed them greatly, but this was like the first game of this caliber that I played, and the story seemed so fresh to me. I, I, I guess I just didn't get <laughs> jaded by age and playing so many other RPGs at the time. Yeah. And I, I um, still remember like taking my, dry, riding my bike over to the mall to pick it up because still pre-ordered stuff in GameStop back then. Mm-hmm. 
Um, no notable for being the first 3D game in the series, and pretty much the game that kind of made, made Tales a thing in the U.S. So, yeah, uh, Tales of Eternia slash Destiny 2 was so obscure that that game shot up in price. So, Tales wasn't really a mainstay in the U.S. for a while until Symphonia came out. And then there was a couple of games that were localized on the PS2, but I also know that we missed a few of them. Whose names? I think it was not Tales of Innocence. Tales, Tales of, of Rebirth, I believe, is yes. the major, is the major yeah. one. And we missed and the actual, remakes. yeah, the actual Tales of Destiny too, as well. Yeah. So yeah, um, this is definitely the game that put Tales on the map. And mm -hmm. Tales of uh, speaking of Tales of Destiny two, it is easily two hundred and fifty or more on eBay. Yep, um, that one's been pricey for quite a while. Um, so it put, it put tales of uh, the tales of series on the map for a good reason because it is an excellent story um, all around. Uh, so starts out with uh, Lloyd and Colette. Sorry, the the break really threw that break in action really threw me off. Um, so Colette is the chosen one, and she is going on a journey to revive all of the temples of Mana to help bring Mana back to the world. And she finds out, you find out throughout the story that there is another world that when the current world is full of mana, then the other one is drained of mana. And it's like this hourglass thing back and forth, back and forth. And then there's this god, Yggdrasil, who set up the world like that because he hated humans and wanted to destroy it. Well, uh, it's it's because he was the, the hero long ago who tried to save the world but the tree was killed by everybody using the mana cannon and then and then also his sister Martell got killed and all that time he's been trying to resurrect her and then start an age of lifeless beings and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself yeah yeah, I mean, it, it would probably take us forever to do a point by point breakdown of the story. I, I just remember back in the day, and this was the joke for the skit, thinking to myself, man, this story really reminds me of Final Fantasy X. And then Matt pointed out in the spreadsheet it's, when we were describing it, it's like, wait, that sounds a lot like Bravey Default too. <laughs> yep, the whole sacrificial maiden thing to keep the world in balance. And um, a lot of top-tier voice talent in this game. Uh, the, the kid that played Robin in Teen Titans was Lloyd. Um, you had Cam Clark as uh, Mythos. Uh, he was uh, uh, Kratos. No. Oh, Kratos, sorry. I, I got those two characters confused for some reason. And then didn't you say that Tara Strong was in this game too? Yes, she's Perseia. In yeah. this game, but in this game specifically, Tara Strong, there was Jennifer Hale as Sheena, Crispin Freeman as Regal, um, Colleen, oh, uh, Carrie Walgreen as Rain is probably the major one. Colleen Oshagahasi is a little lesser known, I think. She did Genus. Um, and uh, Shiloh Strong as Zelos. And how is um, Heather Hogan as Colette? And even a couple of the other, uh, the other like uh, other major characters, Ed Drasil is James Arnold Taylor. Mythos is Brianne Siddle. Like Siddle is that? But yeah, there's a, a lot of uh, major actors, all union actors, which is why you rarely hear them in RPGs these days. <laughs> At least J Japanese RPGs, anyway. <sighs> Unfortunately, but, but yeah, yeah and, and, the next game virtually like all but two of them reprise their roles. That doesn't surprise me. Um... Well, a lot, a lot of them too. Did not. Um, I said all the two of them did not reprise their roles. Is what I meant. But ah, 
Yeah, and and some of that too is just age. So, I mean, there, you know, some voice actors do, you know, get out of it. Some of them have moved into directing. Well, yeah, but it was only time. five. Yeah, it was only like three years late. Like no, four. Hold on, it was two two thousand four in North America and two thousand eight for Dawn of the New World. So that was like four years later. Oh wow! It was because that. you know Namco Bandai stopped using union actors and went non-union, so a lot of them couldn't do, repraise their roles. Probably couldn't afford it either. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think around the, that wasn't the big union strike around that time. Um, no, that was later. I think. Oh, okay. I just I do remember there was a um, actors union strike um, around that time frame, and that did cause some. There, there could have been, but I don't think that had anything to do with it. And then uh, been, I, I don't remember an amusing thing that I discovered while I was trying to um, watch some YouTube videos of, of funny moments in the game, just to kind of refresh my memory is that this game had an anime adaptation. Yes. Which was oddly never been released domestically. I, I'm still very surprised at that considering how yeah. popular it is. And we've got like the tales of Fantasia animated anime series, tales of the abyss tales of, of is it Zillia Exilia? I can never remember. Or the Vesteria that got the anime. One of those did. Uh, Vesteria yeah, had one. And yeah. Vesteria had. Okay, so, and no no Symphonia, no no official release. I, I'm shocked. And, and yeah, it's like, man, that would have been an awesome anime to watch back in the day. Uh, there was, uh, still going through eBay, just looking at the, you know, random stuff. Uh, another uh, PS2 Tales game that we kind of spaced over was Lingendia, by the way. That, I was completely blanking on the name of that one earlier <laughs> i don't i don't blame you yeah i couldn't really get into legend legend yet i mean much. i haven't played it but it, I, isn't that like the black sheep at least the ps2 games yeah yes. a, a lot of people didn't like that one that was the team melfis one i only beat that one using cheat codes that maxed all my stats and it still took me 100 hours just going through the story <laughs> And that was yeah. me stop reading the story. <laughs> it is a long game. It is a slog. It is hard to play because of it. Also, probably why it's never been re-released. Yeah, I, I didn't find that that game very fun. Um, not to get too off track, but Tales of the Abyss, however, I enjoyed every minute of. I thought that got a bit long in a tooth near the end. I enjoyed it a lot, but... <laughs> Um, as for anime adaptations, I'm now looking at a list. We had a Tales of Eternia, a Tales of Fantasia, a Symphonia, a an Abyss animation, a Vesperia animation, and then Zestria. That makes me sad that Zillia didn't get an anime adaptation because that was one of my favorite ones too. But I digress. T- Tales of Symphonia. Uh, notable for being one of the first 3D uh, entry, or the first 3D entry in the entire series, which at the time I was like, how is that battle system going to work? Is it going to be full 3D arena? And I don't think they even went full 3D arena, I want to say, until Grace. No, they didn't. No, no they still, used a lot of, I think they used a lot of, uh, they got away with the full 3D arena by using uh, cell shading. Yeah, yeah, but you still uh, can only, like, run back and forth and could switch between targets, but you couldn't, like, they didn't introduce free run until, I think, Abyss. Mm-hmm. And even then, you're still attacking in a straight line. Yeah. Um, I, I remember loving the spell effects in, in this and the, um, the, the full screen summons. Yep, and did uh, anybody ever play with a, with a player, too? Because my sister played this, both games, actually, with me, and it was kind of fun for both of us to control one of two characters and fight monsters and bosses. 
<laughs> nope, I didn't have any 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 JRPG playing friends back then, at least not in person. And online wasn't a thing, so. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think there was any way to play. I mean, yeah. Yeah, the GameCube had limited online, but you pretty much had PSO and I don't think much else. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm just saying all of my friends that were JRPG friends were would have been online friends, so. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, no. The, I, I didn't know until recently that those older games let you do two-player. Yep. Oh, yeah. Two even, player, up to four, I think four players up to you could. Yeah, even wow. Tales of Fantasia allowed you to, um, for the SNES, allowed you multiplayer in battle. Oh, oh wow. So lucky for people that had a multi-tap, you could have a full Tales party. No, not North America. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, I know, awkward silence. I was trying to collect my thoughts. Um, so yeah, you you brought up the cell shading, uh, Robert. Yeah. The, you know, you know, back then, cell shaded games weren't as common, and this was during the time of the Zelda Gate. If you, if you guys recall, when when Waker came out hmm. and people had a conniption fit over well, the before, graphics. Before, <laughs> before yeah. it came out, actually, but um, and a little after too. And. I mean, it must have been because their JRPGs were just popular back then, but they must have not... Either they were more forgiving of this game for it being an anime game, or it went under the radar, because there were no complaints about the cell shading in this. And at the time, I I appreciated the graphics, because it really did make the game look like a playable anime. Well, I... I am not a big proponent of cel-shaded graphics, but I will say the cel-shaded graphics in Eglise Tales of Symphonia to me look better than some other games that tried to use it at the time. Um, actually, there were a lot of RPGs that used it. Uh, Wild Arms Three actually used it the year, be- uh, which released in America the year before or oh, two years right. before it. Actually, used uh, cell shaded graphics as well. Um, what was another? There was another big one I own that used it also. Yeah, I, um, I completely Crimson, forgot uh, about. Capcom released like a dungeon crawler beat 'em up called Crimson Tears, which is like really heavy cell shaded graphics, and it kind of did not age well because of it. Like Wild Arms Three didn't age badly because they kept it a little simpler, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, there was a whole slew of games around that time. I think, I think the problem with, uh, the, what was it, Zelda, Zelda, Zelda Gator, you said, or something? Yeah, just Zelda. Yeah, um, uh, was Wind Waker went full cell shaded in a full 3D manner, and that's kind of why it looks so off, whereas a lot of them were using, like, flat surfaces for the cell shading which looks better because mm-hmm. um, if you look at other games that use the full 3d crimson tier being another example it runs into that same issue where the graphics look really off especially as the that style has aged now some some games do use it to great effect um shimigami tensei um Three, another one that used cell, sh- cell shading heavily too for that time frame. Yeah, Nocturne. and they kind of went opposite. Whereas, um, Symphon- while Symphonia is bright and colorful, uh, Nocturne is very dark and moody. Part of what I love about the cell shaded graphics in this in this game in particular is that everything is just so freaking colorful. It, it just pops. Um, and, and a lot of GameCube games don't age well like I, I remember going back to try to play twilight princess and i was like my god this game just does 
just looks bad now. And this one doesn't look like that. So when when they did the HD version, I mean, it just it made all of the t- textures just a lot more, a lot brighter and a lot smoother. And it it fixed up the font and the menus. And I just cannot get over how good this game looks. Yep, I mean they're minor. Like there's some minor things, like the, the facial expressions are a little on the stiff side. But hey, for the time, it was a- absolutely fantastic, and it still looks pretty good today. Yeah, um, I'll get I'll get into more. I'll get into um more on how I feel about the game when we do our um you know um what we were doing at the time. So um because I have very strong opinions about this game in a good in a good way. <laughs> um, but I will wait till then because it plays into uh you know, my memories of, of playing the game. Uh, and then four, four years later, we get uh, Dawn of the New World, which is divisive among the fan base, depending on who you talk to. Yeah, I remember, so mostly outside of Japan, as they're friendlier to the game. Yeah, I, I remember enjoying it, but I also had to kind of table my expectations, like, okay, all of the original characters are not going to show up very often in this. And... At the time, I was okay with that, but I could definitely see why fans of the original game would have been disappointed by that. Now, as one of those fans, I absolutely adored this game at the time and still do. Although, admittingly, my favorite parts of the game are completely, like, original to Dawn of the New World and don't have much to do with the original game, so... (laughs) Yeah, it... To to me, it really is kind of its own self-contained story that... I mean, doesn't have a lot to do with the original game other than the characters showing up. Like, yeah, I mean, like it, 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 a lot of the story ties with like the over, like the first game and the overall lore. But, and it's from what I can tell in interviews, it was always meant to be a direct sequel. It wasn't like they had some some other idea, but decided to turn it into a sequel to make it more, you know, to appeal to the fans or something like that. Mm-hmm. And also at the time, Tales of Vesperia was being developed, so the team was kind of split in half. So um, not a lot of their re- their best resources were on this game. So yeah, they- yeah, you could definitely tell that. And like you could see their hearts were really into making the game. They they put as much effort into it as they could, but the shortcomings are pretty obvious. Uh, for one, there is you can't traverse the world map. Instead, you have to pick it from a list. Mm-hmm. and warp to each one and there's like some game in the data suggests that there would have been a world map but that got shafted um there might have been like some certain characters might have been playable like the villains alice and dex might have originally joined the party but then that had to get scrapped uh the char- the returning tales characters actually can't level up in dawn of the new world instead their levels increase as the game goes on but they might have been able to build them up over time. Uh, there might have been an alternate storyline because c- uh, in the first Tales of Symphonia, depending on uh, what character Lloyd gets close to, Zello may actually die. Although it's you have to, I think, go forward. I don't think you can do that accidentally. Hmm. And presumably, it might have been able the GameCube game might have been able to read the the, the Wii game to the GameCube memory card to get that ending instead. But that completely gets scrapped, so Zello's lives regardless. And just okay. a bunch of interesting ideas that that you know couldn't, but it's still a pretty good game. What came out anyway? Okay, I had no idea that it was possible for Zelos to die in the original Tales of Symphonia. Oh, oh yes. Um, mm-hmm. If depending on how you played it, you, there was actually like a hidden relationship meter with Kratos, 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 Kratos. Yes, oh yeah, it's Kratos in this game. I guess not to confuse him with the other <laughs> Kratos. 
Okay. Same spelling, by the way. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so there was, like, this hidden relationship meter with Kratos, and depending on how you played um, with that, and you could get either Zelos at the end as your eighth party member or Kratos. Yes, and it's usually, it's much, much easier to get Zelos. And, in fact, unless you are purposefully trying to get Lloyd to have a maximum affection with somebody else, it'll be Colette. You have to be practically mean to her to get... To not have her as his companion at the end. Yeah, I I pointed through this game twice. Had no idea that was even possible because I I probably would have cried if Zealous would have died because he was easily my favorite character. I mean, despite the fact that he's kind of an ass, but he's a no ass. It's a and it's a very hard. It's it's a pretty heartbreaking scene too when it happens because they're. Oh, I hated him. Oh no, I I mean, uh, uh, yes, he's a he's a you know major jerk, but I really do like the guy. (laughs) He's got his heart in the right place. I mean, my my Mm -hmm. heart was already breaking when I thought that he betrayed the party. So, (laughs) see when when that happened, I was like, yeah, that that doesn't surprise me in the least. (laughs) Oh, it didn't surprise me. It didn't surprise me either. But then why? No, I like you. And then, you know, he redeemed himself. Yeah, because it was still a a ploy, all entirely a ploy to get what he needed from Crucius in order to help the party. Although he did start out as a spy, it's complicated. And presumably he didn't get close enough to Lloyd to pull that uh, double agent bit. And then triple agent at the last second. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, so Dawn of the New World uh, takes place two years after the first game. As you know, the, t- the world was originally split in two and then recombined it to one with a new monotree being born. Um, but not all, all is not well. Uh, the mana is still kind of out of balance, so there's been a bunch of natural disasters happening. Lakes drying up, the desert freezing, places being warmer than they need to, that sort of thing. And on top of it, the Silveranti and Tethealans don't really don't get along very well because the Tethealans, they're the more advanced civilization, so they see the Silveranti as barbarians and have been oppressing them. And it eventually accumulated into a terrible massacre called the Blood Purge, uh, where the Church of Martel attacked the city of Palma Costa because they were harboring dissidents called the Vanguard, a organization created to try to stop the Tethealan oppression of the Silveranti. And they are seemingly led by an unusually uh, dangerous-looking Lloyd Irving. In the very beginning, you see him cut down a family, and then you also see a girl trying with a large red gem trying to escape from a group of masked people. She asks the ro- the, the stone for its help calling it ratatosk and then she falls unconscious later she wakes up and sees this young man i, I, I don't want to go through this much detail but <laughs> this young, young blonde kid and she thinks she saved him and then he wanders over and seemingly meets his parents who had been just killed by lloyd they tell him to go find his aunt and uncle in another city uh six months later you find out that this boy is named emil castagne and he has been telling the people of Lewin that it was Lloyd that attacked Palma Costa and killed his parents. They don't believe him because Lloyd and his companions had saved Lewin many years, like the two years ago. And he became a pariah, his, abdo- his adoptive aunt and uncle uh, verbally abused him and his uncle probably physically abuses him because he's worrying about being hit again. And the poor kid is timid because of it. 
as he tries to stand up for himself to a, to bullies, he's saved by a mysterious man in red hair and glasses named Richter Avend. He tries to thank him, but Richter instead asks him, has he seen a girl with a red gemstone on her head? Later, he finds this girl. He finds out this girl is Marta. She saves him from a monster. And he goes tell Richter, but when Richter follows him, he finds out that Richter's trying to kill her. Richter tells him that's because she is trying to awaken a quote-unquote demon lord, Rattatos. But she says he's not a Rattatos. He's the lord of all monsters. Later on, they meet up with Lloyd, who knocks him out very easily and takes a strange white gemstone that they find in an underground cave. Uh, at that point, Emil has also formed a pact with... Uh, there's so much going on. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, how do I summarize this more quickly? So Emil fo forms a pact with the Centurion Tenebrae in order to become a knight of Ratatosk. Ratatosk, as you later find out, is the spirit of the old tree, the giant Carlon tree. Just as Martel is the spirit of the current tree, he was the spirit of that tree and a summon spirit at that. And he had eight uh, servants, the Centurions, that would control monsters in order to keep mana in balance. One of these is Centurion Tenebrae, who stays with the party. And the other is Centurion Aqua, who had betrayed Ratatosk and is instead helping Richter, who is trying to kill Ratatosk for reasons not known yet. Emil decides to help Marta. He doesn't really know what much else to do, and he does want to help her. And also, Lloyd is after the Centurion cores, which are needed to wake up Ratatos, and he wants to get his revenge on Lloyd. So as they travel collecting the Centurion cores, Emil has been going into this alternate mode, because since he's a coward and doesn't know how to fight, he draws on the power of Ratatos, becoming much stronger, becoming more skilled, and also becoming much more aggressive. But as the game proceeds, he starts forgetting when he goes into Ratatos mode, and this Ratatos mode starts acting like an entirely different person. Uh, also along the time, Marta is absolutely smitten with him. She is convinced he's the one who saved her back in Palma Costa during the Blood Purge, and she's just clinging to him, accusing him of having a crush on any girl he meets, and trying to get him to like her. And he is, at first, has no idea what to do, but by chapter three, he snaps at her, telling her, that she's just pushing him away and that she doesn't understand him. He's not as this perfect knight she envisions him to be. Marta takes the words to heart and they do eventually make up and apologize and they start forming a real friendship from there. Um, okay. I'm trying to lose my train of thought here. Collecting Centurion cores, they also meet Lloyd's companions along the way. Colette, Rain, Genus, all of them in different, like, all of them, they're all trying to find out what is it that Lloyd's doing because they've lost contact with him uh, several months ago, I believe. Why he's collecting the cores. And of course, they're hearing stories about him leading the blood purge and they want they want answers. So they decide to help Emil and Marta along the way. I, um, I do like that Colette calls Tenebrae doggy when she meets him. Yes, which I, I still don't get because Tenebrae looks like a Black Panther. Like yeah, got, to, I'm glad I, I'm not the only one that thought that. Yeah, like he even the, the way his body shape, the way his tail moves, it, like his snout's a bit on the long side. Even his personality is like a stereotypical cat. Oh yeah, he's a, kind of a prissy, prissy thing. But well, do, do do note that Colette has always been kind of uh, portrayed as dogs. a bit of a ditz. Yes, fond of dogs, and she's still quite, she's still quite the cloud cuckoo lander here. 
<laughs> and the others start calling him a dog too, but that's mostly to get on his nerves. Um, I but, love it when they get on his nerves. Oh yeah, but because because they they he gets on their nerves a ton, makes fun of them, mocks them, gets Emil into trouble. <laughs> so it's only fair when they do it back to him. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, I had to yeah, yeah. break in with that. Oh, so yeah, um, and I digress. Huh? So, yes. uh, so apparently, tenebrae, which is Latin for shadow or darkness, I, f- I found a wiki which gives some trivia on this. Uh, tenebrae is based on. I am going to destroy this name because it's Aztec Ahuzotl, a legendary oh. Aztec creature described as a black dog with a long tail, equipped with a hand at the end. Oh, wait, oh. okay. I-, I still think he looks like a black panther. Which. Okay, that thing, that kind of creature is a creature in My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. And in that show, it's depicted as a cat. So, (laughs) what are the only people that see a cat? This kind of reminds me of the Entei Suicune Raiko (laughs) thing all over again. Anyway. So, yeah, anyway, they collect the Centurion Corps, um, and also along the way, the, the Vanguard, they find out that Marta actually is the daughter of the leader of the Vanguard, a man named Brute, who is after the Centurion Corps and Ratatos Corps because they have found the Monocannon, and he's been convinced, Brute, that is, that if he, he can wield the Monocannon, he can stop Tethayala from oppressing the Silverante, but also he becomes convinced that he should destroy Tethayala instead. His methods are becoming very harsh, and Marta wants to try to, to collect the cores to put a stop to that. Richter is also in pursuit of them, but there's a couple of side quests where Emil helps Richter in some unknown misses that you don't find out until much later. And they do become closer friends that way. Ultimately, though, it ends with them not really being able to be friends because... Richter still wants to put a stop to Ratatosk, but he do, Emil does remind Richter of himself because he's pretty similar to how he used to be years ago before he met his dear friend, Aster. Um, eventually, uh, so what happens? The Vanguard eventually takes over the um, island of Altamira where Regal's company, the Lazaretti company is. And uh, at first, Marta tries to stay away from that because co- they're after her, the Ratatosk core and she's actually very afraid to confront her father. Despite initially being the braver of between her and Emil, she is too afraid to confront her own father. So Emil and his other side, Ratatosk mode Emil, convince her that she needs to stand up to and, and you know to maybe she can convince she can convince him to, you know, stop doing what oh wait, I completely and I completely glossed over the whole imposter thing. Okay, so backtrack. You do eventually find out what's the deal with Lloyd and the Blood Purge. It turns out it wasn't Lloyd himself, but instead one of a pair of two uh, general, like two major officers in the Vanguard, Alice and Dex. Dex had gotten a hold of Solemn's core, which allows somebody to completely disguise themselves as someone else. So it was Dex disguised as as Lloyd, who had led the uh, Church of Martell to attack Palmacosta, and that was actually a false flag operation this whole time in order for people to earn the, uh, to make the Silverante turn against the Church of Martell and support the Vanguard instead. And t- so now having found out about that, Emil does let go of his grudge of Lloyd, although at that point, he's they pretty strongly suspect that Emil is not who he says he is and that those two people killed were not actually his parents, but they're still not sure yet as to exactly what he is, who he is. 
But yeah, back to the vanguards uprising in Altamira. Emil and his other son and other old convince Marna they go back to Altamira and defeat Brute, who had gone mad by also having Solem's core. Because Solem's core, any of the Centurion cores, if you hold, they can grant anybody a lot of power. But if they hold on for it too long, they can they do go insane. At least if it's not awakened yet. So that happened to Dex, and that happened to Brute. Uh, they defeat Brute, but Brute is suddenly stabbed by a crazed Dex, and he's nearly. But he is saved in time. But he has to recuperate in Altamira, and it's later then that Richter reveals that. Uh, Emil is actually not who he says he is, and he's not Aster, because earlier on, a few people have realized that Emil looks an awful lot like Aster, a scientist from Cybeck, who used to be Richter's best friend. But he's actually Ratatosk himself, taking on a mortal form and looking and taking on the guise of Aster in order to hide himself, because a few years, uh, as of like about a year ago, I think, is what happened. Richter and Aster had gone looking for Ratatosk because Mana was out of balance and Aster had theorized that the old tree must have had a spirit and they wanted to go look for him. They first found Centurion Aqua, the Centurion of Water, who, if you ask me, looks like somebody really wanted to make an anthropomorphic Vaporeon but had to change it enough to avoid getting to a lawsuit with, Ninten with Nintendo. I, I remember thinking that design. when I saw that. Yeah, just look at her design. She's a Vaporeon. <laughs> like, why does she have those dogish ears? But anyway. Uh, she leads them to Ratatosk, but Ratatosk is furious with humanity because thousands of years ago he... Had, they had gone to the war that had killed his tree, and he still blames them for destroying his tree, which had put him into a sleep for the past 4,000 years, which is why you have, hear nothing about Ratatosk or the Centurions, presumably during the first game. And isn't Ratatosk voiced by Johnny and Bosch? Well, so's Emil. Okay. <laughs> I, didn't, huh, Bosch, I didn't notice it as Emil. No. Because Bosch has these two very distinct voices. He has the younger-sounding voice and the older-sounding voice. And he uses both to great effect in this game. Great effect that I didn't even notice. No, oh, no, it's it's him. It's all, it's, they're both him. They're, and Aster's him too, but Aster gets like three lines in this game. And anyway, so he, so Ratatosk is enraged. He attacks Aster and kills him. But Richter, in his fury, manages to defeat Ratatosk and render him into a core form. He's Richter is told by Aqua to immediately destroy the core to kill Ratatosk for good. But Tenebrae is outraged and takes his core away. And somehow later, the core falls into the hands of the Vanguard instead. And that's when Marta steals it away. Uh, so the reason Emil, the reason that they, Emil has been, Eratz has been disguised as Emil is because when Marta prayed to Ratatosk's core, he had actually been awakened at that point, but he was still very weakened and had amnesia. So when you see him walking around confused beginning of the game, he literally doesn't have any memories and doesn't know who he is. He fills in the blanks when he comes across the parents of Emil Castanier and unintentionally takes on his identity. But there's all sorts of these little hints that he even he doesn't quite remember or know who he is because he doesn't know certain things he should should like he doesn't know what the human ranches are despite living near one in Palma Costa. He doesn't know how to fish despite living in the harbor. When he's asked details about his childhood, hood, he's vague on them. 
And of course, he has flashbacks to Richter killing him, and he doesn't know where these are coming from. It, it's honestly one of the best uses of amnesia I've ever seen in a video game, because Emil himself doesn't know he has amnesia. <laughs> he just has a very hastily drawn false memories. Uh, but anyway, so to move on from that, the party determines that in order to uh, put a stop to Richter, they do still have to find all the Centurion cores. Uh, but before they do, um, the all the chaos the Vanguard has been causing has been making the demons in Nibelheim gain more power. Because Richter had made a deal with the demons in, of Nibelheim that he would kill Ratatosk in exchange for bringing Aster back to life. And people think, you know, obviously, and of course the demons are going to turn the world into a literal hellhole and they need to stop that. But an earthquake started and uh, Ratatosk suddenly takes over Emil's body in order to take Lumen's core away from Lloyd. And this worries Emil so much that he needs to think of a way to stop him. They go to Varius, the summon spirit of heart, who used to be Sheena's uh, artificial summon spirit friend. Um, wow, it's Skippy Corinne. Uh, and as the summon spirit of heart, he is able to combine their personalities. But instead, Emil secretly asks him to seal away the Ratatosk side of him instead. And from then on, you actually, because before even Emil goes over to Ratatosk mode, he changes his voice and his eyes go red. And But instead, from chapter eight then on, you fight as Emil, who has all of uh, Ratatosk skills, save for one mystic art. Um, anyway, they, after that, uh, Emil and Marta have one final scene together in Altamira, where Marta admits to Emil that she doesn't want him to go away. She loves him. And they've been getting closer this whole time throughout the game uh she uh, she knows emil better than he knows so well and emil finally admits to her that he's loved her this what as well the two share an off-screen kiss i assume because it would look kind of awkward in that engine yeah and then uh they make a promise that even though like marta wishes she could make a pact with him but she doesn't have any summit like summoning skills so instead he says that he'll keep her in his heart forever um later so then on they confront richter at the ginunga gap which is the world between worlds where ratatos guards the gate to nibelheim um over there uh they confront and defeat richter but as ratatosk is trying to seal up uh, emil's trying to seal up the door ratatosk seemingly takes over him and grabs marta by the throat demanding that she give all give aqua's core to him so he could regain all his power and uh, destroy all the humans only emil only emil only uh, Marta and Lloyd have to fight Emil in a very interesting battle where you actually, if you want to see the, the true ending, or at least one of the better two endings, you have to have Emil be defeated by them, which can actually be pretty difficult if he has a high level. <laughs> yeah. And if you ha and if Emil defeats them, you get a uh, bad ending, or what's really more like a really glorified game over, in which he thinks he's killed Marta, uh, and then he stabs himself with his sword and turns himself back into a core. Marta wakes up and sees what happened and is horrified, but Emil refuses to wake up, and he's presumably sealed away into the door for the rest of eternity. In the other two endings, instead, when Lloyd and Marta seemingly defeat him, Marta realizes that Emil that Ratatosk is actually Emil pretending to be him. Tenebrae reveals that Emil had actually sealed away Ratatosk and not combined him. And she calls him an idiot for making his friends fight him. I'd be more upset at the whole being strangled thing, but that's just me. And yeah, just the, she tells bit. him that he needs... Huh? 
Sorry. So, sorry, I would have been more upset at the strangled thing thing too. <laughs> but anyway, so Marta tells him that he does need to confront Ratatosk. Uh, they need to see eye to eye. So Emil and Rat confronts him inside of him. They have a brief talk, and Ratatosk says that he'll accept him if he defeats him in battle. Uh, you actually don't have to win that fight, but it, it's not too difficult. And Ratatosk accepts Emil, and the two recombine back into the original Ratatosk. Ratatosk says that, no, I'm not going to, you know, kill all humans and half-elves. After journeying with Marta and the others, he's come to realize that they're not all bad and that there's many, many wonderful people. He says goodbye. Well, actually, before then, uh, he says that the door to the gates of Nibelheim, because it's been forced open, will need a lot of mana to repair. And in order to do that, he needs to slowly, one, draw out all the mana from living things, and two, rewrite the laws so that living things no longer need mana to survive. And the Earth won't need it either. Because as you might recall in the first game, the big problem there was that without enough mana, the land would die and all living things would die as well. But if you play Tales of Fantasia, you know that life doesn't need mana because the only problem was that there were no summoned spirits around and nobody could use magic. Not that the world was dying without the lack of mana. So this game neatly explains why it is that the rules of mana had changed over those many thousands of years. Huh. Uh, but but yes, so then the party bids farewell to him. Lloyd doesn't say goodbye because he thinks he'll see him again. Lloyd being the ever up, up uh, sorry, the ever uh, idealistic one. And Marta doesn't say goodbye because she says his heart, her heart will be with him forever. But she's incredibly sad. But they do say I love you one more time before the door is closed. If you get the normal ending, it ends there. And if you get the good ending, and honestly, it's, it's more like just an, an extra extension than a, a different ending, but I digress. Uh, no, it doesn't end there. At, after that, actually, he has a brief talk with Richter, saying that Richter still has to stay at the door. Because Richter's original plan after killing Ratatosk was actually to turn himself into a burning seal of mana for all of eternity in front of the door to the gates of Nibelheim so that the demons couldn't get into couldn't get into uh, the uh, the new world. But Aster would still come back to life, which, I mean, great, he's not going to turn the world into a hellhole, but it's still pretty extreme. Yeah, just a bit. Um, and not to mention all the lives that he did ruin along the way. But anyway, he says that he still has to become a burning seal since the door has been weakened. But Rat Ratatosk says to him that he'll only have to be a burning seal for a thousand years, and then he'll set him free. Uh, free to die, maybe, because I think half-elves only live that long, but I digress. Uh, but if you get the good ending after that, Richter says to Ratatosk, why doesn't he split himself into a core and to a physical body so that he could allow his Emil side to live a full human life? It just doesn't seem fair to have to him stay there at the Ganunga Gap, too. Ratatosk was reluctant, feeling that he was still responsible for Aster's death and ultimately all that happened in this game. But Richter and the uh, two centurions, T Tenebrae and Aqua, we, we never really get to see any of the other ones, sadly. Uh, convince him that th they'll be able to direct their monsters to draw all the mana from living things, and that Aster would have wanted Emil to live out his own life. It would be a way to allow Aster to live as well, in a sense. And Richter agrees that, uh, you know, Aster was always the idealist, so Ratatosk, and, uh, and even after that, Varius says uh, that uh, he will help them, uh, he will help grant that wish to help them to become two separate beings. 
So he thanks Richter, the light flashes, the credits roll. And then after the credits roll, you see Marta back in Palma Costa, thinking to herself that she's going to protect the world that Ratatosk and Emil helped to save. As she starts to walk away, she sees Emil walking towards him, kind of laughing awkwardly, and she is elated to see them. The two embrace as the camera pulls away, and it's really sweet. Um, as you can tell from that enthusiasm, I really like this game. Yeah, I, I need to play it again, because I, I did beat it, but to, I, to be honest, I have no memory of it. I have no idea why, because I didn't hate the game. It just didn't stick with me. And it, this game has stuck with me so long. I've actually only, I mean, I, I think I've watched occasionally like scenes. He, I've watched a bunch of scenes. I've replayed the ending a bunch of times, but I've only played the game all the way through twice. And it, it's a shorter game compared to Tales of Symphonia. Uh, if you know what you're, if you know where to go, you could probably easily beat in about 60 hours. If you're me, you're going to spend a lot of time <laughs> making packs and evolving monsters and add on an extra 100 hours, but <laughs> mm-hmm. but that's just if you're me and you're try- also treating this game partially as a Pokemon game. Because <laughs> you can, one of the major features is, since Ratatosk is the lord of monsters, is you can make packs with monsters and have them fight alongside you. And this game has and, a lot of monsters. Yes. I, like over 200 i think and you can evolve them into stronger forms and you can really i mean it's uh you will need them for like the higher difficulties you do have the tales symphonia cast returning but again they can't level up beyond 50 so to take on higher difficulties or tougher challenges you'll probably want the monsters and, and you'll want some of the toughest ones for new game plus too if you go through that faster and i i think the monster raising part of this game is why it kind of hit with a thud in the u.s because i don't think a lot of people like that aspect i loved it but i'm now, a pokemon fan no i loved it too but what i hear is the most complaint is uh emil and marta themselves i utterly adore these two I love how they, I, I find them very interesting. Marta is cute and perky at first. And, and I find her antics funny until she starts to undergo character development and she stops being so eccentric. And Emil is just interesting. And, you know, he's a sweet kid and I like seeing him grow and develop. They both become better people. They both help each other to become better people. And, okay, I'm going to sound utterly childish here, but they are my ultimate OTP and I adore them so much. <laughs> I, I mean, I- I'm if you not can't tell, lie. I ship them so hard. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Emil kind of got on my nerves as a whiny kid at the beginning. But I appreciate how much growth he goes through so that by the end of the game, he's not whiny at all. And, you know, he I mean, he kind of has a very good reason for being a little bit of a whiny kid because people worship this dude that he thinks murdered his entire family. Yes. And they're all like calling him a monster. He's being beaten at home or at least getting hit. We don't know how bad it is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I I will. uh, This is going to sound controversial and I might end up eating my words, but I will take a whiny kid over a complete jackass of a main protagonist any day. And I me, mean, I just love the fact that they they develop so much. This they're, they're very close knit. Emil, Marta, and Tenebrae as well. So it's just such a joy to go through the game with them, bouncing off each other, encouraging each other. And while the Symphonia cast gets shafted, a major deal. They've been kind of reduced to a few uh, running gags, which which makes sense. They're not the focus of the game. Uh, but it is still fun to see them interact with Emil and Marta. And know it, knowing now that it was originally was going to be a different game, but then they decided to make it a 
sequel after the fact. I don't know. To me, kind of excuses the fact that the Symphonia characters aren't aren't the focus. Yes. I, I mean, it's not quite. It was supposed to be 400 years after Tales of Symphonia, so the only returning characters would have been Genus and Rain. Mm-hmm. But instead, the film was just like, no, these characters are popular. Make it set only two years later. And the writer was just like, all right, all right. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I, I probably would have loved this game a, a, a still just as much if you just kept Emile, Marta, Tenebrae, the other new characters like Richter and Alice and Dex, and set it in a different setting. Alter the story a bit so that Ratatosk is either a god or something else that he's needed to be awakened, but it turns out he actually hates humanity. You could change up the story and I'd still probably love it, but I think it's fine this way as well. And I do like how it adds on to the lore. I do like uh, like how it fleshes out the world a bit more. And I love that it gave us Emil and Marta. It gave us Tenebrae. Yeah, I, I love Tenebrae. He's he's a cute he's oh. a cute little kitty. Oh, he and and he is a, a, a delightfully snarky and hilarious. Uh, he I just remember he he just loves to troll people, especially Emil, which is funnier in hindsight when you realize he's basically making fun of his lord and master. <laughs> And uh, you know, so, sometimes the skits kind of get on my nerves a little bit in Tales games because there's so many of them. But I remember laughing my ass off at all the skits in this in this game. Oh no, they are fantastic! And I think this was the first time, at least in a wet in a game released outside of Japan, that the skits were full, fully voiced. And it's done to great effects because the actors really outdo themselves. Yes, a lot of the returning Tales of Symphonia characters had to be recast. Uh, only um, Heather Hogan as Colette returns, and so does Cam Clark as Kratos. And Kratos only narrates the very beginning, and he makes this very brief cameo near the end of the game where he's basically talking to you and through some kind of hologram, I think. He's not actually there. He's still on Daris Carlon. And that's it. Everybody else had to be recast. Albeit a lot of them sound pretty similar. You have Tara Plot doing Rain instead of Carrie Walgreen, and, and she's fantastic as Rain. Um, you have uh, Janica Sal, it's a Jan, Jan- what's her name? Janica Salwith, I think. Uh, she's, I believe, the same voice actress as, um, oh, come on, Lysithia from Fire Emblem uh, Three Houses doing the voice of Prisea as well as Alice. In this game, of course, you have Marta as Laura Bailey, who sadly also can't do non-union stuff anymore. So it's delightful to hear her. And of course, you have Johnny Young Bosch doing wonderful work as Emil and Ratatosk. And I love the way how he just sounds so nervous and uncertain and shaky in the beginning and ever so slowly as Emil develops. Because it comes out in his voice acting as well as his personality, too. It's just wonderful to see. But yeah, skits are hilarious. The mom skit is just a joy. It's an utter joy. Um, my my, I'll talk about my favorite skit in the round table. But yeah, that's I don't know if that's like oh, there's a lot, and it's just the game's just funny in general. Like even some minor things. Uh, sometime early on, a monster called the Light Frog or the Nazdrovie is wreaking havoc. Everybody in the party is calling it the Light Frog. Tenebrae insists it's the Nazdrovie, and they ignore him. And then a skit later, Tenebrae calls it the Light Frog, and everybody starts calling it Nazdrovie, presumably just to drive him crazy. <laughs> but he gets back at them a lot. Again, the mom skit in particular. Um. Another thing that I wanted to bring up, I love the music in both of these games. 
Yes, I, I own the physical soundtracks <laughs> to both of these games. Um, like, I, I've certainly heard better music in other games, but and a lot of it is due to nostalgia, but I do really enjoy it a lot. Um, a lot of music in Dawn of the New World is remixed from the first game, which makes sense, and not all of it as, as good as the original, but some of it is better, and some of the newer tracks are great, too. But the first game also had some great tracks, a lot of great boss battle themes... But yeah, overall, it's a pretty good. It's a pretty great soundtrack for both games. Yeah, that full, fully orchestrated music, man, just can't get enough of that. Yeah, the 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 uh, the Japanese openings are really good too. It's a shame we don't actually get to hear them in game and uh, the North American releases. Starry Heavens for the first game and Ninin Sakyaku uh, for the second game, which I think translates to Three-Legged Race. Well, that being said, um, unless we have any other thing to add about both of these games, I think we're ready to go to the round table. I don't know about you guys. I have nothing I can add about the second game, only because I never I, I own two copies of it because I own the PS3 version and I own the Wii and I actually do own Wii, 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 Wii. The Wii version. I just never touched it because I had so many other games to play, and um, at the same time, I had kids around that time. So it's just, I it's one of those things I want to go back and play. Although I don't think I can. I think my son destroyed the power cable for my Wii. Yikes! I I could talk about these games for hours more, but um, can I just say say one more thing? I I utterly adore the the, the romantic subplot in this game between Emil and Marta. I have I still have yet to see. Maybe it just shows you what games I've played, but I still yet to see a better romance in a video game. It's an awesome romance. Mm -hmm. Um, Interesting note is. I thought it was kind of interesting that you could use the um, Wiimote as a pointer to basically point a meal around the screen. And I tried to play like that initially, and then eventually I got an, I got annoyed and just switched back to the Pro Controller. <laughs> well, you can uh, mainly uh, you could just use it to like point the uh, sorcerer ring at things, which uh, worked well enough. Yeah, that that was their that was their shoehorn of the motion <laughs> controls, and as the as they were wont to do at the time, and luckily it wasn't too gimmicky. Yeah. But. You can also like shake the nunchuck to use some extra skills, but uh, that was terribly finicky. Though I will say I do appreciate the the Wii boat nunchuck playing uh, JRPGs, just so that I can kind of rest with both my hands at my sides because you know usually I have a cat on my lap when I'm playing video games, and trying to play with the controller over the cat tends to be annoying. To if, the cat, if the cat uh, that or the cat is like, ooh, toys. <laughs> no. Mine get annoyed because I play with the controller over them if they're not, if they're like on my chest and then they get annoyed and leave. <laughs> but I digress. I think we're ready. I- I'm bringing up cats. I think we're ready to go on to the round table unless anybody else has something to add. No, I don't. I don't really have much to say. Um, I actually, I, I mean, I enjoyed my t- time with Tales of Symphonia the, um, when I played it both times and I'll go that goes into my story for roundtable so i'm good to go yeah i i need mm-hmm. to boot this up on ps3 and play through it again or maybe if the, they'll port it again i might boot it up yes Who that'd knows? be nice i've been wanting to revisit these games for so long yeah well I, i've and i've got the steam version of the first one so it's one of the most popular games in the series why not port it 
I know. You'll right? print money by mm -hmm. Bamco. Just saying. Oh, well, one more thing I want to add before we go to the round table. I, I posted something in the Skype chat. Um, Emil's appearance made a cameo in Tales of Zillia 2 as one of the 100 cats that you could collect. <laughs> oh, I see. It's kind of like is that uh, outfit of the night. Yeah. Um, they butchered the localization on a bunch of them, but luckily Emil uh, still had retained his original name, so the reference is very obvious. But I, I thought that was cute. A, a lot of popular characters show up again as cats, but he, at the time, he was the only one that was really recognizable because of his outfit, which I appreciated. Anyway, I, I think we're ready for the round table. We're going to take a short musical interlude, and then we're going to come back with our personal thoughts on both of these games. So stick around. RPG backtrack, and now we get into our own personal thoughts about the game. Um, even though we kind of waxed about them a little bit <laughs> in the previous <laughs> segment, but yeah, it, this is kind of going over our favorite characters, our favorite songs, what we were doing at the time the game we were playing the game. If uh, you played it way back in the day, like me, or recently, uh, that sort of thing. So, and for Give me, I am having technical issues tonight, and I had, ac I had accidentally closed the sheet on myself. There we go. <laughs> um, so, for, for you guys, uh, what was your funniest moment in the in the game, or your favorite moment? Okay, I, I mean, is it okay if I go over, like, one favorite moment apiece plus the funniest moment? <laughs> oh, of course. I mean, it's your favorite game. You're probably going to have a couple. Yes, okay. So, again, yes, there are lots of great scenes in these games uh, but I guess if I had to pick a favorite for the first game it's a pretty downplayed one uh, Genus and Rain are half elves but you don't actually find out that they're half elves till uh, midway through the game they claim that they are elves which I distinctly remember in, in like before the games came out in Nintendo Power when they previewed it they called Genus and Rain half elves and I got really confused when I played Tales of Symphonia and they started calling themselves elves not realizing, okay, there's a reason for that, and Nintendo Power spoiled it. Ouch. But I digress. <laughs> but that's just that funny thing aside. Uh, so the poor the party accepts them, and late in the game, uh, when Genus and Rain go back to Asalia, uh, they are accosted by the bigot of a mayor telling that they can't be there. Uh, but then uh, one of the NPCs, a girl called Chocolat, they had rescued from a human ranch, as well as some other villagers 
tell the mayor off saying that they are good people and that there are good half-elves just as there are bad humans. And, like, Rain especially is so moved that she has to run away for a moment. And since she's usually, like, the very serious, straight-laced one, it's really kind of, like, uh, heartrending to see that, uh, touching to see that, that they're, they're standing up for her and for her brother and to see her move so much that she can't, you know, that she kind of needs a moment to herself. Yeah, that is really sweet. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Dawn of the New World, I, I kind of went over it. It's the chapter eight before the battle scene. Emil and Marta, Altamira, Emil actually you know, it realizes and admits to Marta that he loves her too. Well, she's been telling me he's been loving her this whole time, but, uh, and it's just really touching. And you could say it's like, like it's, uh, it's okay. It, how do I put this? It might lose its impact, you might say, if because of the good ending. But I think it's better just because so many of these, the immortal being and the mortal can't be together, just ending them being separated. And I find that, you know, enough with that. It, it's great that these two kids get to be together in at least one ending. And, of course, uh, funniest scene in Dawn of the New World, just because this game is really funny compared to the first game. But uh, And there's a lot of funny scenes. But my person, probably the, the best one, to, and the one that I just laughed the loudest at, uh, at some point in the game, Marta and Emil are trying to get past a checkpoint uh, that the Vanguard has taken over because they're trying to find Marta. Persea happened to be passing by and for some reason she's lugging around this giant Iron Maiden. Uh, so she hides Marta in the Iron Maiden and as the Vanguard there, the guard stops her, she tells him that this uh, Iron Maiden is a good luck charm and if he were to open it uh, terrible curses would befall him including diarrhea vomiting and the demon king coming in the middle of the night to shove his finger up his nose it, ter it terrifies him so much that he doesn't look inside of it but it turns out uh, Marta was in a hidden compartment so he wouldn't have found her anyway <laughs> and because she's still like very deadpan and serious she's been relearning how to like use her emotions but she's still pretty stoic so it just comes out as hilarious as she's just describing <laughs> and a ding of demons will come in the middle of the night to shove its finger up in your up your <laughs> like what the heck hilarious I, I can actually picture the the i can actually mentally hear prasea actually saying this in my head right now because I, I, I that is specific line and just, and the demon king will come and stick his finger up your nose. And I, 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 I'm picturing <laughs> this in my head. It is hilarious. It, 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 it is hilarious. And, and this is among a swash of, of minor and major hilarious scenes. I, I do love a good deadpan snarker in a video game. Um, Robert, did you have any particular moments? Um... I won't say necessarily. I, I like the, there's a lot of good moments in the games, um, and a lot of funny ones too. Some some of them just you know straight up slapstick with Colette Colette being so clumsy that she's constantly falling through walls. Um, not not just like running into walls, but running through the walls. Um, yeah, I love that running joke of Colette's uh, perpetual clumsiness. And the fact that she's really strong, apparently, to, to, you know, do that. But for me, it's more, the most memorable bit is, and it's early in Tales of Symphonia, where you're doing the traveling, and you've already, and, you know, they've already gone to several of the temples, and, you know, Lloyd has the suspicion that something's wrong. 
with Colette. And, you know, he hands her a drink and she's like, you know, it's really refreshing. Well, it's, you know, really hot. And she's like, oh, ouch. And she drops it like as an afterthought. And then it's like, no, I lied. It was cold. And you find out that through this, she has slowly like losing, you know, her, uh, you know, her senses and her, you know, sense of self from doing this. And it's really gives an impact to the story very early on about that and about how much this journey can is cost the chosen one um because of the fact you know it's supposed to be this really big great good thing and yet the chosen one is sacrificing themselves to do this and then you find it and then of course you find out the whole plot you know the whole plot line that it that you know neither side is good for when this happens type of thing so it's it's but that to me that was probably the most impactful scene in the game to me yeah that's a pretty uh i, I yeah i remember that that's a pretty um heart-rending scene too admittingly I, I couldn't help but laugh when colette suddenly drops the cup when lloyd said i lied it's iced coffee <laughs> yeah because that was like before iced coffee was really a big thing here in america i mean you know iced coffee been big in uh japan actually for you know even in the 90s whereas iced coffee i think was only really cold coffee was really just becoming a thing here in the u.s i mean we have frappuccinos but actual iced coffee <clears throat> i mean i've eaten i've drank cold coffee before but that's after you know forgetting about it all day but not wanting it to go to waste <laughs> I don't know if that could be considered iced coffee or not, though. No. <laughs> um, that being said, I, I think my favorite moment in the first game was finding out that Kratos... Or, is it Kratos? Yeah, Kratos is uh, Lloyd's real father. I, yep. I kind of had a feeling just because of how he kind of acted towards him. But it still still kind of had that doubt in my mind, and then it, they revealed it, and it's like, yep, that that makes sense. They do kind of act like each other. Yeah, I can gonna say I got spoiled by the uh, by the official player's guide that was released for this game because you saw the titles, and one of Cross's titles is Dad. <laughs> so well, it, that might have been my fault, I guess. I, I got spoiled by the unofficial guide on GameFAQs, looking ahead, trying to figure out where I was in the game, and I think one of the headers said it. <laughs> so, I got a guide spoil, and that's oh, really no. annoying. Um, and then my favorite scene, or one of my favorite scenes in the sequel was during one of the skits where Tenebrae is talking about wanting to play the quiet game with uh, Emil and Marta. And l later on, the, the skit, he's like, oh, we're playing the quiet game. Yes, it's nice and quiet. You know, not realizing that he's being the noisiest one of them all. And that one just kind of stuck out to me just because it, it was one of the prime examples of Tenebrae just being a complete jackass. <laughs> a, a complete troll to them, too. And it, it, at the time, it cracked me up. Yeah, but especially after they all yell at him to shut up. <laughs> yes. But yeah, wonderful. Loving troll Tenebrae. Mm -hmm. Going on from there, what, what were you guys' favorite characters? So yeah, I, I well I love all of all the characters to one extent or another, but they like Rain's 
Rain from the first game is not only my favorite. If I had to pick one, it would be her. And also one of my most favorite game, like video game characters ever. I just love how multifaceted she is. How she's cool, generally calm. She has her eccentricities. She goes crazy over ruins. She could be severe, but she can be kind-hearted too. Uh, she has doubts about herself as a half-elf. Uh, she's just this wonderfully complex character, and I really like her. And then Dawn of the New World. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's Emil and Marta. I love them as individual characters. I really, really love them together as a couple. And yes, I will my defend them to my dying breath. Sorry. <laughs> OTP for life. Yes. What about you, Robert? So uh, I actually have two favorite characters. Um, so because um, f- uh, again, I've only played the first one, but I, I actually have two. So the first one uh, was Regal, uh, Regal Bryant, um, because I. You know, playing a lot of games, you don't see a lot of characters who just specialize in kicking everything and it's um in its in in their wake. And then you you know, you find out sort of his backstory of why that is, because when you meet him, he's a convict and his and his hands are bound. And you find out why, and it's 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 sort of a sad story as to why, but I mean supposedly, you know, he's super powerful with his hands, and he yet he's bound by him, so he doesn't punch anything. Or, or use his hands or arms to, to fight. No, he only uses his feet and shins, and he goes around wrecking things. And and a lot of it, um, a lot of it is with him too, is aerial combos. So, yeah, I mean, it is just amazing to watch him just go flying around the screen, kicking everything in the face. And then um, I really also enjoyed Persea. Um, you know, especially once you start. Um, when you, because when you meet her, you know she's been, you know, stunted in regards to the same issue that Colette has in the game um, with the um, exospheres and stuff. I, I, for, I forget. I'm forgetting a lot. Of, I, I don't forget like a lot of the minor points of the plotline. I know it's a major point, but at the same time, it's kind of minor. Um, but once you start fixing that, you fix hers, and then she begins opening up, and you know you have this. What looks like a little girl going around swinging axes that are, like, a size and a half bigger than she is. And and so, like, the combination of her and Regal in a party was just absolutely destroying everything on my battlefield. So it was, it was just so much fun to watch the two of them interact and destroy stuff. And, and actually... The, when it comes to video games, um, the reason I really enjoy axes is actually because of Persea. So, like, if I have an option of playing a character with an axe when I can, I will play a character with an axe, and it's all because of Persea. Because I just thought the way she did it was so cool. That's awesome. And Regal's voice by Crispin Freeman, have I mentioned? Crispin Freeman is always awesome. Yes. Crispin Freeman is, 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 is a very good voice actor. Yes, indeed he is. Yes, uh, and weirdly, in Dawn of the New World, obviously he couldn't reprise his role, but as far as I'm aware, it, it's never been confirmed who voiced him. Uh, people suspected it was Troy Baker, but Troy Baker himself said it's not, so... <laughs> hmm. uh, it could have been uh, Matt Mercer, because Matt Mercer is kind of referred to in some circles as the poor the man's... Discount Chris- Troy Baker, yeah. I, so. I will not have disparaging of my... Uh, hey, it's not a bad thing. He's, I know. I like Matt Mercer. He's awesome. Yeah, it, Matt Mercer's awesome. Actually, it I, could be him. It's hard to tell. 
Yeah, or so, uh, or or Crispin Freeman may have done it off shelf because some it's some. Not, of the, it, it doesn't quite sound like him though. You can tell it's somebody trying to sound like Crispin okay. Freeman doing Regal. Yeah, and I and I again, I've not played the game, so I would not know that. Like the only one you could maybe think it's the same actor is Genus, but Tara Strong did it, and it, it's not the same actress in Dawn of the New World. That is Colleen Oshikahasi did the first game, and I'm not even sure why because I think Colleen can do non-union unless she couldn't do it back then, possibly. Yeah, according to behind the voice actor, Matt's only Tales role is Tales of Zillia one and two. I mean, it could be him. I don't think anybody's asked him directly for confirmation. He may not even remember after all these years. And it, it may be something that it could have been just some one-off person they brought in who sounded close to Crispin Freeman, and that's it. I mean, people th- that has been hap- that's happened before in voice acting work. Yeah, I think Zelos is also unconfirmed too. Again, Dawn of New World. Yeah, and it looks like Regal is only listed as the Japanese voice actor on behind mm-hmm. the voice actors. So, oh, that's annoying. But regardless, uh, I mean, I, I said this before, but for Symphonia 1, my favorite character is Zelos, just because I, I love me a pretty boy. And I, I, yeah, he's obnoxious, but he amuses me with how obnoxious he is. And and yeah, this could have been, a, I mean, this could have been in one of my moments where when I realized that he did not betray the rest of the party, um, I, I could have died right there because it was like, Yes, he's good. He's actually good. Because it was one of those things that I just had a feeling he was going to betray, betray the party in the beginning. And when that feeling was correct, it was like, I really liked him. Why does he got to be a bad guy? Okay, good. He's not. He's awesome. <laughs> and, and I love his design, his kind of sort of rock star design. Um, just a coolly designed character. And then for the sequel, I, I said it before, it's t- it's Tenebrae. Yep, Tenebrae is awesome. So, such a sassy demon kitty. Or, really <laughs> Centurion, yeah. He'd probably take offense to being called a demon. Centurion. But yeah. They're like summon, like, they're like summon spirit lights. Summon spirits lights. Light, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Since yeah. they're like connected to, to Ratatosk, who is a summon spirit. So then um, get, getting into our favorite songs, I'm not going to be able to answer this one because it's been a hot minute and I have not had a chance to revisit the soundtrack, unfortunately. Um, I usually do that before the show just to refresh my memory and I had te- technical difficulties. So I, I know that the soundtrack was good. I just can't pick a favorite song off the top of my head. Yeah, well, again, there's a lot of great music. Uh, for the first game, I think mine would, it's hard to pick just one, but mine would have, I guess if I had to, it would be a piece called Harmony that plays near the very end of the game. It plays during that last anime cutscene uh, when the tree has sprouted and um, the spirit of Martell combines with Tabitha. And then she talks to him, uh, to Lloyd and Colette telling them that she is the spirit of the new tree. It's a very pretty piece. And of course, for the uh, second game, it's the boss, the final, well, the, the the technically the final boss battle, but you fight two more battles after that against Richter called the Wilderness of Sadness. It's a grand boss piece. And I, I really like the title describes Richter well. Like, he doesn't want to be the bad guy here. He's what you call an anti-villain because he is 
doing what he thinks is the, the best thing for the world, stopping a possibly genocidal summon spirit and bringing back his dear friend who was wrongly killed. But he just went through extreme means to do it. So he's probably, you know, sad about it this whole time. And it's a really great epic piece. Cool. Did you have anything, Robert? Um, the only song that, like, I can consistently remember from the game is the overworld the theme uh for for the first part of the game and uh, even even now just simply play um even just when you read the question that is the thing that popped into my head and i think a lot of that just has to do in regards to compared to several of the other tales games that were around this time where you were like only on the overworld briefly before you were back in a dungeon or back in the city and and vice and or vice versa and Whereas this one, you actually did spend quite a bit of time on the overworld traveling. And and that, so that one really just stands out in my my head to me. Tra- traveling on a big old green pupper, too. <laughs> yeah, or, well, or yeah those... we didn't mention No Wish at all. I, I love No Wish. And then and also... Lloyd's giant green dog, who's actually the last living remnant of one of the first life forms on the planet. <laughs> I, I take it he doesn't get brought up in the sequel. Oh, he he does make a very brief appearance. I think in chapter two or three, uh, Emil and Marta had washed up on a shore somewhere, and Tenebrae sees Noish and asks some questions. But Tenebrae laughs because Noish tells him a story of uh, something funny he's seen that day. But you never find out what it is that he saw floating down the river. Mm. That's it. <laughs> Sounds about right. Poor doggy. Poor Relegated doggy. to a joke we'll never completely hear. <sighs> poor doggy and then finally um wh- what were you guys doing into your life when you was playing this game <sighs> oh dear again uh, so, uh this these games have somehow taken over a large portion of my teen and adult years again i played them both with my sister so there was like a lot of bonding to be had there and it's always great to go through a game like that with one other person and I became like really involved. Well, it, it like major, like it was, I guess somewhat ma- involved, majorly involved with the fandom back then, about 2004 to like maybe 2010 or so, and, and even a bit, and even into now, really. Um, I joined forums specifically to the games to talk with them. I really got into shipping the characters. Uh, more lately, I've commissioned a bunch of fan, like some fan art for both games because uh, I can't draw myself, so I'd rather pay other artists to do it. And I've been spent many years reading and writing fan fiction. And if you go on my Twitter, whenever I can find any bit of Dawn of the New World, and particularly Emil and Marta fan art, I'm going to retweet it. These two have just, they are, take up at least a tiny portion of my brain every day somehow. Uh, yeah, you could say I'm obsessed. <laughs> No, I, 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 I don't blame I, you. I have characters like that for me. Yeah, and the weirdest thing is, like, I don't consider myself a Tales fan, not because I don't, I, I dislike the series, not at all. It's because for various reasons, I've only played four games so far, and I don't think it's fair until I played more. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I love these, the two Symphonia games, and I love Tales of the Abyss. Tales of Fantasia is, is what it is. <laughs> the and first game. Particularly. But eventually I'll get to the other ones and maybe I can consider myself a fan. But for now, I'm a Symphonia fan for both. And I guess I'm a Biss fan, too. I'll be it to a lesser extent. I'm curious how you're going to react to the relationship in Tales of Arise. If I ever get to it, I'll let you know. Yeah, th- there's a lot of character growth in that one. And 
since since you're a fan of that, I, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised mm. with that Sounds one. Sounds promising. Sounds promising. I, I enjoyed that one quite a bit. Oh, I couldn't get enough of Tales of Arise. I, I think that's one of the best ones they've come out with in the past decade. I beat it twice in the same month. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, uh, Cassandra, um, I was, so I was playing it for, I was actually streaming it for RP Gamer, and then, um, I was like, man, this is really good. I want to play it. So I started playing my my save offline and keeping two saves. <laughs> so I beat it personally, and then uh, I kept going for the uh, RP Gamer. So I beat it once for me, and then once for RP Gamer. Nice. <laughs> that's streams. Nice. And we actually have those streams uh, cataloged. So um, going to my favorite, uh, my memories of this uh, in um, for Tales of Symphonia. Gone um, in the World, I picked it up used GameStop during 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 tax season that's a lot of how i get a lot of my games um but tales of symphonia the original release not even the u.s release the original release um happened um at a time where i had recently lost my dad's father and um my dad's father very stern man um when he passed away he left his inheritance to only two people which was me and my sister out of six grandchildren. Uh, there are reasons behind that. I will not go into that here. So um, I actually picked, and so, you know, being, I was I was like 20, 21. So being young and dumb, um, I bought a lot of video games. And um, I was wanting to get more into, uh, you know, trying to learn Japanese at the time, which I was not successful with. But uh, I actually picked up a Japanese GameCube, and I picked up Tales of Symphonia um, on the ja- uh, a Japanese version of it. So I actually, and um, I will say, because um, I also picked up like Star Ocean 3 at the time. And of the two games, I actually spent a lot. And I again, I could barely read Japanese. What Japanese I know is mostly so I can play Super Robot Wars. I actually sat down and played a lot more Tales of Symphonia in Japanese on the GameCube, which I couldn't read, than I did Star Ocean 3. And I actually, so, um, and part of that was because I was really excited for it. I mean, I really enjoyed Eternia, which we got in the USS Destiny 2. I really enjoyed Destiny. Um, so I was really looking forward to uh, Tales of Symphonia when it, when it was pronounced in and I was like, you know, I'm going to play this on Japanese. And and I actually got a decent, I think I got up to right before the first fight with Yggdrasil in the Japanese version. You know, so I actually made it pretty far without no, without being able to read what was going on. Wow. And then and then um, and then I I joined the Navy and went away and then it released. So I picked it up in the U.S. And yeah, no, this was one of the many one of the games I actually beat in the dorm rooms of Groton while I was stationed up there. So and I do not regret buying a second copy. So I, I but I yeah, I actually do own two copies of this game, both the U.S. and the Japanese version on GameCube. Next next time I go to Japan, I'll have to pick you up a PS2 copy if I find one. I have a, I have a, based on the conversation we just had, I have the, uh, I have the hardware to do it. I don't know if I still have cables for it because of my son, but I know I have the system. <laughs> the system still works. It's been mothballed for a while. And then I think this, I think that when Symphonia was first released in Japan, it wasn't a, a special edition GameCube release with it too, as I recall. Yeah, um, I see a lot of collectors 
on r slash game collecting crack about that special edition GameCube. I think it was like kind of a seafoam green. Orange. Oh, orange. It was an orange GameCube. Oh, wait, it was the Crystal Chronicles one that was seafoam. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, there was an orange GameCube. Um, and I know this for a very fun fact. That is that is actually the one I own. Oh, <laughs> wow. I, I, I got it all. I, I got it off of eBay. It wasn't that expensive at the time. So, I mean, now I'm sure it's a hell of expensive. But yeah, no, I, I also picked up like Ikaruga, I believe, was another game. I have a I have a few different games that were um, that are Japanese from the GameCube from that era. But yeah, I, I just thought I was like, oh, it's an orange GameCube. I didn't know that it was a collector's edition one. Hey, at least with Ikarugi, you don't have to worry about the dialogue as much. No, I, I no, and I, I do love myself uh, an occasional uh, uh, shooter of that nature sometimes. Man, I love that game, but I am awful at it. Um, that being said, uh, so my memories, I don't have a lot of specific memories, mainly because at, I think at this point that was like 20 years ago for me. So I and just have a little bit of trouble trying to remember back that far. But I do know that I was really excited for the release of Tales of Symphonia 1, and I bought it day one. Um, I, I think I got paid, as a matter of fact, I think I got paid that day and went to the Best Buy, or p- put my paycheck in the bank and then went to the Best Buy and picked it up. Uh, and I, I didn't get paid a whole lot because I only worked part-time back then, so spending $50 on a brand new game was kind of a big deal for me back then, because back then I, I bought most of my games out of the used bin at GameStop just to save a little bit of money. So I, I played through it on the GameCube, and I loved every minute of it. And <laughs> my my only other memory that just popped in my head was... Uh, I got my copy of Dawn of the New World from my mother-in-law, of all people, during a kind of a particularly disappointing Christmas where my family sort of forgot about me. Um, <laughs> so it was kind of like a, a bad, I don't know how to put it, like a, a kind of a saving grace. It's like, oh, well, at least I've got something to play now. Um, and yeah. That's uh, that's all I, that's all I really remember about both of those games. Um, well, one of them being twenty years ago, and the other one being you know the the side project product of a bad Christmas for me. So yeah, and I do believe that is a wrap on the show. Um, unless we had anything else you wanted to bring up concerning either game. Um, I guess I'll just add this: uh, courage is the magic that turns dreams into reality. Woohoo! Um, that that being said, I I need I'm due for a play replay of both of these because they're so good. Um, definitely one of my favorite games in the series for sure. Uh, Robert, did you have anything to close out with? Um, so I think I think the best thing to say is uh, what is Dwarven Vow number ten, which is play hard, play lots. <laughs> and my final words are. For, for this show are um, tune in uh, a couple weeks from now because I believe 
Dang it, I closed the window again. I need to stop doing that. I believe our next show is Octopath Traveler, which that game is a little bit divisive amongst our staff because there are people that love it and think it's amazing. And there are people that think that it was, I mean, not necessarily garbage, but just the epitome of meh. So it's going to be a fun, a fun show next week or within the next two weeks uh, going into Octopath. So stick around for that. Um, thank you, Robert, for uh, taking time off to come hang out with us. Always. I, um, I enjoy these conversations because I like hearing the – I like discussing games that I either enjoy or don't enjoy and and sort of gauging why other people may enjoy it and maybe even go back to them. Awesome. And th- thank you, Cassandra, for talking about this game because I, I see you on Twitter. I know how much these two games mean to you. <laughs> And thank you very much for having me and letting me ramble so much. Oh, yeah. oh gosh, I love course. these things. I, I put it this way. I'm glad you're on because I could, I would have been able to recall the details of either of these games. And I, I, and I usually do a lot of research and the watching a couple of YouTube videos kind of jogs my memory. But even this was like tw- 20 years is a long time for me. <laughs> <laughs> And, and of course thank you to my co-host Matt Mason for ha- hanging out um, playing stuff I, I almost said the name of the game but realized it was embargoed oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, playing our Pokemon Arceus and air quotes there we go we'll just say yes, that he's playing there we Arceus go. there we um, go thank you very much Matt and thank you very much listener for, for hanging out with us um, we shall talk to you later and have a good week Go stand in the corner right now.